0: Wednesday, August 22nd, 2012, episode 13 of the Football Nation Today podcast with Alex Reamer on footballnation.com. episode number 13 of the Football Nation Today podcast, hosted by yours truly, Alex Reamer, available on footballnation.com and for download in the iTunes store. Please subscribe to the Football Nation Today podcast and the other shows available at footballnation.com in the iTunes store if you've yet to do so. Here we are, episode 13, Football Nation Today. We've been coming at you just about each and every Wednesday throughout the NFL offseason, throughout the summer months, and here we are. Just a mere two weeks away from the start of the 2012 NFL regular season. Not next Thursday, but the Thursday after that, we will have NFL football opening weekend really not that far away. Teams are in the midst of their preseason schedules right around games 2 and 3. Some teams have already gone with their dress rehearsal. Other teams will go with their dress rehearsal where they play their starters for a half. Maybe into the three quarter. Uh, other teams will be doing that within the coming days. So really ratching up the preseason and then getting ready for the 2012 NFL regular season. Here at Football Nation today, we are providing you with our NFL preview. Last week on the show, we spoke about the AFC with Chalice Manzi Young, Patriots reporter for the Boston Globe. This week we did a brief NFC overview with Sal Capaccio, sports radio host up in Buffalo. WGR, 550 AM. You can also uh, catch all of Sal's work on his website, salsports.com. A little disclaimer, uh, Sal and I used to work together at a podcast website a couple of years ago, uh, which we, which I referenced in the interview. Um, that was back when my voice was a little more high-pitched, not the dulcet baritone you enjoy today through your speakers, however you may listen to the show. Uh, but in all honesty, uh, you folks are into, are in for a real treat. Uh, Sal is a terrific football mind. He coached football for over a decade down in Florida as well. Um, He's a terrific football mind, a great on-air presence about him, and uh, we look forward to having Sal on the show regularly once the NFL season begins in just a little over two weeks. So you're in for a treat. Sal Capaccio joining me for the first down segment, the NFC Overview. Next week, it'll be time for my predictions. I will give you my 2012 NFL Overview. Give you my predictions next week on the show. And if you have predictions of your own, as always, feel free to email them to me. Drop them to me on Twitter. Post in the comments section of the show. Next week, we'll do a more comprehensive 2012 NFL preview. After the first down segment this week, though, we're going to move on to our second down segment where we will have another nugget about the NFL replacement referees and what it will take to get those guys to go away. Really not that much money at all in the grand scheme of things. So we'll talk about that. And then we'll spend some time discussing the hazing incident with the New York Giants this week. Giants punter Steve Weatherford released a video over the weekend uh, which um, which featured Jason Pierre-Paul carrying young cornerback Prince Amukamara over his shoulders, dumping him into an ice bath. Tom Coughlin and many others have spoken about the incident since. I'll give you my thoughts on hazing and football and the public's um, reaction to that. Third down segment, it's our big up slowdown. Talking about everything from the Jets absolutely sucking in preseason to Ryan Tannehill being the latest rookie quarterback named to start in the NFL. And also Drew Rosenhaus reportedly offered Des Bryant money to join his agency. Is that a big story or not? We'll talk about that in the third down segment. Then the fourth down segment, closing things out with the Reamer rant. Preseason football, I have a confession to make. I'll share it with you later on. It's Football Nation Today, episode 13. Back in a moment. Welcome back to the Football Nation Today podcast. Here we go to our first down segment where, of course, we talk about the biggest on-field NFL story of the week. Last week, we previewed the AFC The AFC with Chalice Manza-Young, Patriots beat writer for the Boston Globe. This week, we bring on Sal Capaccio. You know him from WGR, AM 550 Sports Radio in Buffalo. Also, you can find his online work, his football podcasts at SalSports.com. And Sal's here to help us with an NFC overview today. Sal, how are you? Nice. I'm to
1: excellent, to Alex. It's good to uh, talk to you again, my man. You're still doing your thing, and it's always great to see you. I'm really happy and <laughs> proud for you.
0: Thanks, Sal. Great to see you, as I mentioned, off-air on WGR in Buffalo. A little uh, background here. Sal and I used to be at the same podcast website years ago, and my voice was much higher. uh, (laughs) Not the dulcet baritone it is today. Um, And and actually, Sal used to host a show, NFL Roundtable, where they had the first-down, second-down, third-down format, so... That format, Sal, was an inspiration to the format of this fine program.
1: Well, that's cool. You know, uh, one of our old co-hosts there, uh, Johnny James, Johnny Vaughn, we call him now, actually. It's his, uh, it's his name now these days. But uh, him and I still do the NFL Now podcast, and we have a really good time. We're going to have to have you join us this year sometime to talk a little about the Patriots.
0: Hit me up, Sal. Always down to talk with the Patriots. Um, I'm thinking 14-2 uh, and two in a Super Bowl this year for the Pats. So
1: just to- Well, I-, I mean, of course, being here in Buffalo, as I am uh, – You know, we know that the Patriots are the team to beat in the division. I think that's why the Bills went out and got, you know, Mario Williams and then brought in Mark Anderson away from the Patriots. But it's all about getting to Tom Brady and, you know, trying to beat the New England Patriots. And last year, the one win at Buffalo, as you remember, the big win, the big comeback, the first time in so many years they beat him. was a really big deal here in Buffalo. So Bills fans are really looking forward to week number four. I will tell you that having the Patriots back here at Ralph Wilson Stadium again.
0: Uh, and the Jets look like a total mess, which is always good for us here in the AFC East. And Patriots fans take a special uh, take a special glee in seeing uh, in seeing the complete mess the Jets have become. But Sal, you know, first question I want to ask you is, um, you spent over a decade coaching high school sports, high school football down there in Florida. Um, so let me tell, so let me ask you something. How do you watch preseason football? Does it represent A different importance level for each specific team. Meaning, of course, let's say the Patriots struggle during a preseason game. Everyone around here says, well, it's just the preseason. They'll get it right come the regular season. Whereas the Jets, for example, struggle in preseason. And everyone says, oh, the Jets are screwed. They suck, blah, blah. And I think that's fair because I think it's apples and oranges. How do you watch preseason football? And again, does it represent a different importance level for each specific team?
1: Yes, I think it does because, you know, what we saw, for example, Monday Night Football, I mean, Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski, those guys don't even play. They don't need to, you know, so you'll see those guys... And they'll just get back out there week one and they'll do their thing. Then you have young teams who need to get out there and sh- and get together, gel, be cohesive. You know, you look at a team like the Indianapolis Colts. Andrew Luck has to take reps in the preseason. He needs to get with his wide receivers and his offensive line and the timing. So it's more important for them. But here's the thing for me. You know, Buffalo's kind of caught in between. It's the third year with this offense and most of the players with Chan Gailey and Ryan Fitzpatrick and those guys. Uh, but they're still a team that needs to still learn how to win and get over that hump. So they're kind of in the middle of those two teams that I use as far as how to approach the preseason. We get two extremes here in Buffalo, as most fans probably do. You get the one extreme that says, I don't give a crap if they win or lose or how bad or great they look. Just wake me up in week one. And then you get the other extreme that people think the sky is falling. They're going to jump off bridges because they lose a preseason game by two or three touchdowns. Well, I think there's common ground in the middle. and The way I've described it on my show, Alex, and what I like to say is to me, it's part of a process. You can't be the greatest at anything you do in life. If you want to be the, the the CEO of a company or if you want to be the head coach of a football team or if you want to be the greatest sportscaster and talk show host in, in the country, there's a process that goes along with that. And to me, preseason is just part of the process. And it does matter to me if the team's not blocking or tackling correct. It does matter to me if they're not converting their third downs because their execution is really poor. I want to see that happen. It doesn't matter on the final stat sheet. Of course not. But to me, there's an importance level there. And I, I think as a coach, cause that's how you asked me to look at this. I think that's why I look at it this way. It is part of the process. It's part of practice and you never want to waste practices. You never want to waste time. You want to work ultimately to be as good as you can when you walk into week one. And part of doing that is to do what you have to do in those four weeks.
0: So moving on to the NFC salad, general NFC overview, Um, talk about the Patriots. They played the Eagles on Monday night. Uh, First unit for Philadelphia didn't last long as Mike Vick was removed from the game early on due to an injury. X-rays are negative. Um, What's your read on Philadelphia this season? What's the key for them on ascending to the playoffs after disappointing 2011? Is it as simple as keeping Mike Vick healthy Uh, Does it have to do with a lot of improvement on the lines? What's the key for the Eagles in 2012?
1: Well, I think it does have to do with Michael Vick staying healthy. That is obviously the first key. If he goes down, they're going to have a lot of issues on their hand. When you put on the same field, Michael Vick, LaShawn McCoy, and Deshawn Jackson, that is just so much – pressure to put on a defense to have to cover guys and guard guys and know where everybody's going to be. I mean, it makes that offense so different. So if you remove him from the equation, I do think that is number one. But remember now, they started one and four last year, and then they came on. They played pretty well down the stretch, and after that, they beat the New York Giants late in the season. They beat the Dallas Cowboys late in the season. This is a team that was thrown together at the last minute because everybody was. You know, they had the lockout last year, so all these different personalities and talents, Alex didn't have much time to gel. Right. I think we saw them gel towards the end of the year as the year went on. I think there's a good team. The problem is the offensive line still has question marks. They went out and they got the former Demetrius Bell. Now he's Demetris Bell in Philly for some reason. The guy changed his freaking name. But anyway, he's Demetris <laughs> Bell as an offensive tackle in Philly. Do you
0: have a false birth certificate? Like, uh, Faustic Carmona in Cleveland?
1: That might be what it was. Maybe, maybe he grew up somewhere down there, and he, he's different age, too, <laughs> for all we know, right? They got him early. But uh, he is a guy that they went out and got to help out in the offensive line spot, but he's, you know, somebody that the Bills cast off and went with a rookie in his place. So I look at that. I look at going out and get a guy like Fletcher Cox on the D-line and D'Amico Ryans at linebacker to help shore that up. They have to be better on both lines of scrimmage. If they are, they'll be a playoff team and I think contend for the NFC Championship, but if they're not, they're going to have another disappointing year.
0: Uh, Though the Giants won the Super Bowl, Sal, many forget the relatively... Mediocre regular season they had. Are they a lock to return to the postseason this year, or will Dallas, who I think who I think still may have a better roster roster on paper, overtake the G-men?
1: Well. I agree with you that they were kind of under the radar. Remember they went nine and seven last year, snuck into the playoffs on the last week of the regular season. And then they go on to win the Super Bowl. but they just have that kind of a team because they're a reflection of their head coach. He's not a guy that goes out there. They're not going to score 35 points a game and hold you to 10 and just blow the doors off everybody. They're going to do what they have to do. They're going to stick with the program, stay consistent. And then in the end, they'll usually be there. I still think they're going to be there for one reason, for two reasons I should say. But number one is their defensive line is still really good and they're going to get after everyone. And you saw that the other night when they played against the New York Jets and how they basically abuse Wayne Hunter and the rest of that offensive line, but also Eli Manning is there. I mean, Eli Manning, you have to now, Alex, put him in the elite level of quarterbacks in the national football league. I'm not as big on Dallas as you are. I still want to see them put it all together. I, I agree on paper. They always seem to have well, talent not big
0: on Dallas. I'm just saying on paper, I think. Yeah. You
1: know, it always seems like that. Right. But they never seem to put it together. So i I actually think Dallas is going to fall short of 500 this year. I think Washington's going to be better in that division. I think Philly's going to be better in that division. I don't know if Washington will be better than Dallas, but they'll be better than they were last year. And I think that the Dallas Cowboys are actually going to fall short of 500 this year. I mean, that's all they were last year was 8-8. Eight and eight. So I still think, that said, the Giants have just as good of a shot as they did last year to get back to the playoffs and make a deep run.
0: Al Capaccio, you know him from WGR, AM 550 in Buffalo, also on SouthSports.com. Uh, Sal, how much of a step back will the Saints take this season, and how will that affect the hierarchy of the NFC South?
1: Well, I think they'll take a big step back as far as record. I can see them winning maybe 10 games, maybe 11 at the most. I mean, that's a three-game drop-off right there, and that's going to really open the door for a team like Tampa Bay or New Orleans or Atlanta, any of those uh Tampa Bay, I'm sorry, Carolina or Atlanta, any of those teams that can actually put together a few more wins, maybe Atlanta, this is the year that they, you know, overtake and do something in the playoffs. Matt Ryan, he's like Jekyll and Hyde regular season and then playoffs. Maybe this is the year that happens, but I also think Tampa really an improved roster. I'm not necessarily going to say that they're going to be a playoff team, but I think they'll at least be contending in December for a playoff spot. I think that's up to Josh Freeman kind of to take the reins and be a little bit better they gave him some more weapons but as far as new orleans the reason why these teams will have a better shot i think alex is new orleans got to take a step back right i mean they're without their head coach sean payton they're going through a lot with these suspensions and things like that they lost their defensive coordinator greg williams to st louis and then to a suspension so they have to take a hit i can't imagine them winning 13 games again
0: do they win the division still
1: You know, probably they're still probably the most talented when it comes down, but let's remember this division has a really, really good history of having a lot of turnover. So anything can happen in this division. I would not be surprised. I'll ask you, would you be surprised if any one of those four teams actually won the division?
0: No, I would be surprised if Atlanta won the division and then won a playoff game. But as far as winning the division, no, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, me neither.
1: I wouldn't even be surprised if Tampa did on the heels of four wins last year because they really did get an influx of talent on that roster. I still think they have some problems maybe in their secondary. They're a little old with Rondé Barber there Uh, on the defensive line. They're still trying to figure out a better way to get to the passer. But you know what? That's still a team I think that can get to maybe nine wins with a few extra breaks. And then you're talking about Carolina and Who knows? I mean, Cam Newton could have a a sophomore slump, but if this kid remains on his progression, Alex, I mean, you're talking about a team that could really jump up and be a 10-win team with him.
0: Uh, NFC North, South. we see three teams from the division make the playoffs this season.
1: Good question. I think Green Bay makes it. Um, I think Chicago makes it. Detroit is a tough one. I think Detroit has all the tools to make it. I don't necessarily know they let, let let me put it this way. Detroit has the body parts to make it. I don't know if they have the brains to make it. I agree. All right? yeah. So so they're going to probably do something throughout the course of this year that's going to cost them a playoff chance or a playoff spot. But if if the stars align for this team and they can they can stay on the straight and narrow, they can stay healthy with Matt Stafford, they can avoid the penitentiary, then they may actually win this division. And this is a team that for the next foreseeable future has some really good loaded talent. I mean, look at that D line. It's, it's absolutely amazing. I don't know if three teams will make it. I haven't really gone that far yet, but certainly they have a shot. All three of them. I think Minnesota is maybe the worst team in the national football league right now, to be honest with you though.
0: Okay. So we know Minnesota is not the best of the bunch. So if you had to pick one green Bay, Chicago, I'll throw Detroit in there because you like them a lot on paper. Who's the, I'll best go green.
1: People? I'll go green Bay still. I'll go green Bay only because of Aaron Rodgers and the program there is just always in place. And you know, I, I would tell you that at some point, just like Detroit, Jay Cutler's probably going to make some sort of decision or mistake that, uh, you know, cost him, or his offensive line is going to put him in a position that's going to cost them. But in the end, Green Bay just always seems to have too much.
0: I couldn't agree with you more about Jay Cutler. And I'm assuming you're not that high on Romo since you're picking the Cowboys to finish 500. It sounds like such a cliche sound. I hate relying on these kind of cliches, but sometimes they fit. I just look at Cutler A guy like Romo to an extent. And I say, just not winning quarterbacks. Something missing there, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, and, you know, Romo's in that group of quarterbacks where, you know, you always say, you know what, I'd really like that guy on my team. But then you examine his body of work, and when crunch time comes, right? yeah, I mean, you know, he looks like... on paper, his body work looks really good, but then you look at what he's done in crunch time and in the most crucial of moments, and you're like, can you really trust him when the game is on the line? You know, he can you really trust this guy? It's the same thing with Matt Ryan. I'm a Matt Ryan fan. I like him, but he's the first quarterback in the history of this league, Alex, to lose all three of his his first three starts in the playoffs as a, a to start his career. Yeah,
0: Sal Capaccio, WGR AM five fifty in Buffalo. Um, the 49ers made the NFC title game last season. They still have the elite defense, but speaking of, you know, the trust in quarterbacks, can they trust Alex Smith to take them to the next level?
1: I I don't think they can, but I'm going to say this about San Francisco, typically, typically When you see a team make a huge jump like San Francisco did, usually when they do it with a new coach like San Francisco did, they inevitably take a step back the next year. And the reason is because a lot of it comes down to being mental. You think you've arrived, you think you've got to the place where you need to be. So maybe you take that edge off a little bit. You don't necessarily do the things that got you there in the first place because you feel, Hey, we made this jump. We're here now. We're going to contend. And I think that may happen to San Francisco this year. I know they got Randy Moss. I know they went out and got Mario Manningham, but you know what? They also lost Josh Morgan as a wide receiver to help out with Alex Smith. I know they have a good defense. that flies around and they try to go after the football and cause some things to happen. But Alex Smith as good. A year as he had last year and the 49ers overall is good a year last year. I just expect this team to take a bit of a step back. I, they probably could still win the division because the division's really not that great. But I don't think that they're going to be an NFC Championship type team like they were last year. Maybe give them till the next year. Sophomore slump with the uh, new coach and new program, and then they get back at it next year, maybe.
0: So, do you have a sleeper team in the NFC West here at FootballNation.com? A lot of our calmness here are pinning the Seahawks as this big sleeper team. I'm actually not high in Seattle at all, really. Maybe it's just cousin an anti Pete Carroll thing here from new- in New England, but. Seattle sleeper team, they seem to be a sexy pick for some.
1: Uh, Seattle's not a sleeper team for me. I think they are what they are. They're another five hundred team, if that. I'm not r I am not I do I'm not a big San, Arizona Cardinals, you know, guy. I think that they have some parts. Larry Fitzgerald's still the quarterback's gonna hold him back. I'm not gonna call the Rams a sleeper, but I do think if I'll tell you this if Sam Bradford stays healthy, they'll they'll win, they'll win five or six games. They'll start contending more. And that's not a lot, but that's, that's a lot a better than last team year. Even in
0: that division, five or six games could take the title.
1: <laughs> you never know. That's right. I don't think San Francisco loses the division. They'll still let, let's remember they won this division by five games last year. I mean, that, they have room for error, Alex. So I think they take a step back. I think the Rams take a step forward. And I think the Cardinals and Seahawks fall in the middle again.
0: Sal Capaccio, WGR am five fifty in Buffalo. Also find his work, all of his work at salsports.com. Sal, So final question. We'll get you out on this. You are in Buffalo. I'm in uh, Boston here. So got to ask you an AFC East question. Um, Last week we spoke with Shalise Manz Young. She covers the Patriots for the Boston Globe. We know the Pats are the top of the division, but then Shalise and I tried to talk about other playoff teams, the AFC East. We both agreed on the Bills. Getting a wild card berth this season. What are your thoughts on Buffalo entering 2012?
1: Well, first, I'll give you a thought on Shalice. She is awesome, and she was on my radio program in Buffalo last week, ironically as well. I love having her on the air. So uh, awesome that you got a chance to talk to her. She really she's knows her been stuff. Been a guest of mine for many years. Yep, yeah, she, she she does a great job with the Globe over there. I am also probably, when it's all said and done, I haven't officially done it. I think I'm going to pick the Bills to get a wild card. I just think the Jets are not a very good team, and we've seen what they've looked like in the playoffs so far. They have problems at the quarterback position, but... That's actually not their biggest problem right now. Right now, their problem is blocking people in front of the quarterback and getting people to stay off of their quarterbacks. I don't like the Jets at all. The Dolphins are going through a huge rebuilding mode. They have an owner down there that is more interested in headlines than he is in winning football games, I think. Now they're going to start a rookie quarterback. But here's the thing you got to remember the, about the Bills, and I'm not saying this to be a homer. I'm here in Buffalo, but I want everybody to know who's listening to this. The Bills have a very, very favorable schedule. We just did this this morning on our morning show here in WGR. The only quarterback they really play that scares anybody is Tom Brady. The rest of their schedule is loaded with very average to subpar to rookie quarterbacks. Also, the Bills' schedule is loaded with teams that gave up a lot of sacks last year, and then they go out and get Mario Williams, then they go out and get Mark Anderson. So I think the schedule's really favorable for the Bills to get from six wins to at least nine and maybe even ten. I think that gets you a wild card in the AFC this year.
0: Sal Capaccio, WGR, AM 550. Listen to him on weekends there and filling in uh, throughout the weeks. And also, of course, listen to him online, SouthSports.com. Sal, thanks for stopping by. We're here all season. We'll definitely have you on again soon.
1: Thanks a lot, Alex. Look forward to it. And uh, I'll talk to you soon, my man. Always a pleasure to be on with you.
0: Hopefully you all enjoyed the conversation with Sal Capaccio of SouthSports.com, and also catch him regularly on AM 50, uh, 550, WGR. Up in Buffalo, and again, we look forward to having Sal on throughout the NFL season. Uh, moving on to our second down segment, off-field story. Last week, what dominated the second down segment was uh, many tidbits, my many thoughts, on the replacement referees. The atrocious job they've done thus far in preseason, and I think it's a total joke, quite frankly, that the NFL owners have not been able to pony up the cash to get the real referees back. Uh, Well, Peter King, the football reporter for Sports Illustrated, uh, wrote down this week that it would cost each NFL owner roughly $60,000, which times 32 is a little more than $2 million, in total per season to strike a deal with the regular NFL referees. So that's right. The NFL referees, all they're asking for over a seven-year period Peter King reported earlier this week is a commitment which would take a little north of $2 million total per season, which if you break that down by the 32 teams in the league approximates to about 60 grand per team. That's two private plane rides for one of the owners kids or maybe the owners kids kids in some cases. Really, that's all that is, a little north of 2 million per season. Roughly sixty grand per team over the next seven years to keep the regular NFL officials happy and in their jobs. And the NFL owners are unwilling to pony up the cash. And we're supposed to accept that. We're just supposed to take that. We're supposed to take these replacement referees not knowing the rules. We're supposed to take these replacement referees not being able to react fast enough to call a play appropriately, so in some cases, it's irrelevant whether or not they know the rules. They can't react fast enough to make a, to make a good call. You know, we had a referee, Chad Choa. you know, the guy from the lingerie Bowl that was fired, uh, who was fired, had a situation in his most recent game where he didn't look at the camera when he was making a call. I mean, just these guys don't know what they're doing, and it's not necessarily their faults. I mean, they are. Low-grade officials. They are not regular NFL officials. They're not even high-level NCAA football officials. They're guys from 1AA. They're guys from Division two, Division three. One of them, you know, glorified high school, which we talked about on the show last week. Uh, these guys are not NFL-ready. It's a joke. It's a complete joke. And it's complete hubris that the NFL owners think they can get away with running these guys out there. You know what I hope happens? I hope the NFL begins the regular season in just a little over two weeks with these replacement officials, and I hope that Jerry Jones and his Dallas Cowboys, I hope they miss the playoffs by one game that you can trace back to a bad call made in week two by a replacement official. And I hope Jerry Jones and the Cowboys lose out on a postseason berth because a replacement official screwed up a call and screwed up a game in week two. Yeah, but you saved the sixty grand, Jerry. So hope that makes you feel good. Now the other big off-field story this week—a bit more of a well, it's NFL referee story, very serious—but this even to the next level: um, hazing in the Giants locker room. A video was tweeted out by Giants punter Steve Weatherford uh, late this past weekend of Giants defensive lineman Jason Pierre-Paul and others dunking young cornerback Prince Amukamara into an ice bath. Uh, there was a lot of profanity in this roughly 47-second 40 second video, uh, liberal use of the N-word, etc. Uh, Giants head coach Tom Coughlin has stated how he deems that behavior to be inappropriate and not representative of what the New York Giants should be. Uh, the players have spoken out on this as well, but interestingly enough, they're not necessarily apologizing for their actions. They're more apologizing for this getting out. Uh, Jason Pierre-Paul had this to say this week, quote, for us guys, it was funny. To the media and to all the fans, they didn't find it funny. I apologize to the fans and my fans. It was a joke gone bad, close quote. Uh, Giant Safety Entre Rolle had this to say, we're going to horseplay. We just have to be a little more cautious about how we go about horseplay and more importantly, about leaking things to the outside world. Now, Prince Amukamara has also spoken about this, and he stated he considers the other players on the team to be brothers. And he said, quote, I don't think there's anything to apologize for, close quote. So all parties involved have issued statements, they've issued apologies, but they're not apologizing for the actions. They're apologizing for the actions being made public. Now, this kind of behavior occurs in all football locker rooms, across all levels, across the country. Obviously, there are varying degrees of it. You know, in high school, you're not going to see a young, you know, freshman cornerback being carried by the seniors and dunked into an ice bath. But, you know, you'll maybe see him have to carry the balls from the locker room to the field. You know, I know in my high school, a lot of my good friends were on the football team. They always went away to this, you know, five-day sleepaway camp in the middle of the summer, and the freshmen got it pretty bad there in the showers. I mean, you you know, you get stuff like that at the high school level, amps up a bit to the college level, and then the pro level, you know, pretty much anything goes. And, look, this kind of behavior has always occurred in football locker rooms at all levels across the country, and thus it's acceptable to those within the football community. And though Tom Coughlin condemned it this week publicly, you have to think Coughlin knows this kind of rookie hazing goes, uh, uh, goes around in his locker rooms and has gone around in his locker rooms in the past in Jacksonville in New York, and I'm sure when he was at Boston College, too, in the college ranks. Uh, Tom Coughlin has to know that. He's on top of it, and he lets it go. Why? Because it's a part of the football culture, the rookie or young player hazing. I mean, you even see it in HBO's Hard Knocks uh, last week. When the rookie offensive line for the Dolphins had, you know, dicks shaved into their heads and their eyebrows were shaved off and their hair was bleached blonde. You know, in a team meeting, head coach Joe Philbin openly mocked the rookies about it and about their, you know, their bad haircuts and their bad hair colors. The head coach on the team called the rookies out in a team meeting, mocking them about it for the hard knocks cameras. So it's a part of the football culture. It's a part of football locker rooms. So that's why the players aren't that remorseful about their actions. And, you know, the thing about this though is, this kind of behavior, though it may be acceptable in a football locker room, is not acceptable anywhere else in society. I mean, here in the year 2012, and this is a good thing, our society has become a far more tolerant place. I mean, high school, college most certainly, the adult world obviously, I mean, Every facet of life has become, I would say, far more tolerant than it was even 15, 20 years ago. Hazing is not cool. It most certainly is not. And you go on to, you know, a couple of the unfortunate suicides we've had over the years. You know, the Rutgers student a couple years ago committed suicide because he was gay and his roommate went through his computer. I mean, you know, you're horrible stories like that. You know, of course, every, couple, every year there's a couple incidents involving fraternities and hazing practices there. I mean, hazing is not accepted at all in society. Not that it ever was accepted, but, you know, it was more brushed under the rug. But now, you know, if you haze somebody, if you bully somebody, you're made an example of. These punishments are severe because it is simply not acceptable in the year 2012. And that's a good thing. And because of that, these players and Steve Weatherford, who tweeted out the video, uh, they have to be punished, not punished for the actions necessarily, but punished for not possessing the common sense, I would call it, to keep these kind of things in house, because it speaks poorly on the culture of the National Football League, and it speaks poorly on the culture of the New York Giants. To reiterate, this kind of stuff, I'm sure, happens in NFL locker rooms all over the country. Hell... I'm sure an ice bath incident like this has happened several times before in Giants training camp this season. The difference between the previous incidents and this most recent one though, is because this one was tweeted out by Steve Weatherford, by Steve Weatherford, excuse me. It was made public. And though hazing may be acceptable in the football world and in almost every football locker room. It's not acceptable in society. And I am, shocked that Steve Weatherford and other members of the Giants couldn't comprehend that. And as a result, for making the organization look bad and the league look bad, I, I think punishments should be levied out to these players. Moving on to our third down segment, it's the Big Up slow down segment. I will say a statement, and then I'll either affirm my agreement with it by saying Big Up or my disagreement with it by saying, slow down. Uh, This story was broken by Yahoo Sports this week. David Wells, a longtime advisor to Cowboys wide receiver Dez Bryant, has informed Yahoo Sports that high-profile agent Drew Rosenhaus offered Bryant cash payments and a trip to Miami in order to sign with him and his agency. Now, Wells has released these text messages from a number attributed to Rosenhaus. Here are just a couple of them in the article. This one's from December 16th of 2009. Rosenhouse wrote in the text to Wells, "Um, also we'll have 10K for you to give to your community center. Then on December 17th of that same year, Rosenhouse wrote, "Uh, didn't mean to put pressure, but we want this bad. We're ready to put you on a private jet and get this done. Miami's calling with several exclamation points. December 21st of that year, after Wells City did not respond to to Rosenhouse's messages, the Asian wrote, never heard back, my man. We raised the guarantee. You'll be happy. Then on January 3rd of 2010, Rosenhaus wrote again in the text, whatever it takes, man, whatever, just give us a shot. Now, during an hour-long interview with Yahoo Sports, this is from the article authored by Jason Cole, Rosenhaus answered no comment to 11 questions regarding his relationship with Bryant. Andor Wells. Rosenhaus, of course, claims to represent more than 140 NFL players, cited the confidentiality nature of any agent player relationship. Um, so here's the question. Well, here's the statement. Drew Rosenhaus, it seems like, offered Des Bryant money and other forms of incentive to join his agency. Big up or slow down. This is a real groundbreaking story. And I say, yes, big up. It is a real big groundbreaking story. It isn't necessarily a surprising story. I think we all suspected that this kind of foul play goes along with NFL agents and, you know, top football prospects in college. Certainly goes around in the college recruiting process. But this is the first real documented case of a high-profile agent, Drew Rosenhaus, illegally offering a player incentives, you know, a college prospect, Des Bryant at the time with Oklahoma State, to join his agency you know it goes into tampering and everything else so we always suspected this happened and we always suspected that look it's dirty recruiting these football players who often come from poor backgrounds you know uh backgrounds of disarray you know like des Bryant at the incident with his mother earlier this summer you know we knew we suspected those kind of things went on but now we essentially have it confirmed by this report Drew Rosenhaus plays dirty, and he represents over 140 high-profile NFL players. And I'm sure Drew Rosenhaus isn't the only one who plays dirty. He's probably just the best one at it because he's the most powerful agent in the game, and arguably right there with Scott Boris, among the most powerful agents in American professional sports. So we always suspected this kind of foul play went on, this kind of tampering went on, these kind of incentives you know, were offered, but now we have it documented. And it's a major story and a significant PR hit to one of the most prominent agents in sports, Drew Rosenhaus. Many people associate slimy with agent, you know, automatically. But now there's the proof, the hard evidence to go along with that. And I'll be curious to see if Drew, if Drew Rosenhaus or other members of his agency take a hit perception wise and have trouble recruiting some players. Now that this, this report have gotten out. So I think it is a big story, and I'm certain. I certainly think it's not over. I certainly think this story and maybe others like it will come out. So though it was suspected, the fact that we now have it confirmed, yeah, makes it a pretty big story, at least as far as I'm concerned. Now Ryan Tannehill was recently named the new starting quarterback of the Miami Dolphins. There will now be three rookie QBs to start the season: Tannehill in Miami, Andrew Luck in Indianapolis, Robert Griffin III in Washington. Big up or slow down, all three of those guys are the best options for the job right now. On this one, I say slow down. And it's tough, because I don't think an argument can be made that the Colts uh, aren't doing the right thing by having Andrew Luck start on day one, and Luck has looked great this preseason. And same thing with the Redskins and their top pick, Robert Griffin III. I don't think anyone can argue that the Redskins would be better off going with Rex Grossman than, you know, Baylor's Robert Griffin III, a top three draft pick, and everything else. But Ryan Tannehill is what causes me to say slow down. Because, yes, I think Tannehill should start at some point the season for Miami. They're going to have a wretched year down there, and at some point they're going to say, what are we doing here bringing Matt Moore out? You know, I mean, what difference does it make? Let's bring in the kid— For a couple weeks. Let's see what he has in a real regular season game situation. But here's the thing. Naming Tannehill as your starter before the season even begins. Is already essentially waving the white flag. And I'm not necessarily looking at it from a solely PR perspective. But I'm saying. I mean there's a high probability this kid's just going to get killed out there. Because he's not Andrew Luck. He's not Robert Griffin III. Yeah he's a top 10 pick. But. Some thought the Dolphins reached there, you know, because they struck out on Matt Flynn. They couldn't land Peyton Manning. They didn't trade for Tim Tebow even. And they let veterans sign pretty much everywhere else. And David Garrard fell to them along with Matt Moore still there from last season. So, and you could say it was a reach by the Dolphins to draft Tannehill in the first place. He played at Texas A&M, you know, a fairly major program, but he didn't play in the SEC. You know, didn't play in the big 10, you know, played at Texas A&M, you know, Big Twelve, sure, but he didn't play in Tech, didn't play at Texas, Texas A and M. So, you know, I think Tannehill is much more raw than Andrew Luck and Robert Griffin are. Um, so you know, and I think there's a probability he's going to get killed out there. And you may say, well, Alex, ultimately, what difference does it make, right? The team's going to lose games with Matt Moore. They're going to lose games with Ryan Tannehill. At least losing games with Ryan Tannehill means their quarterback in the future is getting as much game time experience as possible. And I could certainly understand that argument, but that, but on the other hand, you know, I think a kid's confidence can be hurt by being left out there to dry essentially. I mean, look at David Carr with the Texans and what was it? 2002, 2003 or 04, you know, one of those early years in Houston. I mean, David Carr was left out there. First year of an expansion team, a horrific offensive line, no real weapons at receiver. The Dolphins now, without Chad Johnson, certainly have no real weapons at receiver. Uh, You know, Carr was just killed out there. And a top-round pick, a number one pick, relegated to career backup duty to Eli Manning in New York with the Giants. And he bounced around to Carolina before that. I mean, his career was ruined because of a horrific rookie season. And that there's always the worry of doing that to a raw rookie quarterback. Like, I think Ryan Tannehill still is. Look, Tannehill can make the team out of camp, be the backup to Moore because Garrard has his surgery. He's out of the picture for now. Um, Practice every day with the team. If there's a blowout late in the game, remove Moore, put in Tannehill. And then by week 11, week 12, hell, maybe even sooner if he really impresses you in practice, You pull Matt Moore, you put in Ryan Tannehill for the second half of the season and the final third of the season, whatever it may be. But then he's 10, 11, 12 weeks into it already. That much more familiar with the team. The team is that much more familiar with themselves. In my opinion, putting a guy like Tannehill out there, could be as raw as he is on week one, is asking asking for trouble. You could damage him long term, like the Texans did with David Carr. Almost a decade ago. And you look at quickly the performance of rookie quarterbacks. Uh, Tannehill's looked pretty good this preseason. He led a 71-yard TD drive in the Dolphins' second game. Uh, I thought Andrew Luck, again, very impressive against Pittsburgh last week. Not Not as good as he was in St. Louis, but still pretty good. The Steelers, you know, intercepted Luck, but then he came back, leading the Colts to 17 points in three drives. And we talked about this last week, too. The thing that impresses me most about Luck... Even more than Robert Griffin III, who made some mistakes, lost a fumble, being careless with the ball. You don't see Andrew Luck make those kind of mistakes under center. Uh, he has the arm; he can make the throws. Yes, all these guys can. But it takes more than just the raw talent to be a successful quarterback. It takes the mind. And I saw Andrew Luck take control of a two-minute warning against Pittsburgh, spiking the ball with the second to go. Um, he picked up a middle blitz really nicely, and he was able to dump it off. To a receiver for an eight yard gain. I mean, rookie quarterbacks, hell, even some veteran quarterbacks, uh, can't read that blitz, try to do too much, and then get sacked for a five, six yard loss. Uh, Andrew Luck reads defense as well. He's calm, he's composed, he's collected. Uh, I think he is NFL ready right now. I'm expecting big things, big things out of Andrew Luck this season. Now, the New York Jets, conversely, have had a horrific time on offense this preseason. They've yet to score a touchdown this preseason. They lost 26-3 to the Giants last over the weekend. Uh, big up or slow down, the Jets will suck this season. Simply put, big up or slow down, I say big up. The team is a total mess. A total mess. And as I was saying with Sal Capaccio, I think it's apples and oranges in terms of how you evaluate each specific team's preseason. To go to the Patriots... There are some concerns here about the offensive line. Who you know, and again, the offensive line as a unit looked bad in the second preseason game this past Monday against Philadelphia. But I look at the Patriots. I look at their O line. I see backups galore in there. You know, Marcus Cannon looked bad at right tackle. But guess what? Marcus Cannon isn't going to be a starter come week one. You know, I mean, Dante Scarnecchia is one of the best offensive line coaches in the game. They still have Sebastian Vollmer, Logan Mankins, Brian Waters out, and I do think Brian Waters will, re- will, will return. Nate Soldier at left tackle is a concern, and I think we're getting to the point where the Patriots may have to look at moving Soldier back to the right side and trying Sebastian Vollmer, if he's healthy, at the left side to protect Brady's blind side. But I have faith that the Patriots, through personnel changes, through coaching, I have faith the Patriots will correct those problems, in the final few weeks of the preseason. The Jets are a different story. I don't have that kind of faith in the Jets. And I look at the offensive performance of the preseason. Mark Sanchez was sacked four times over the weekend, threw a pick six. Tim Tebow was sacked three times. Wayne Hunter is a turnstile at right tackle. And the Jets continue to put him out there on an island. I mean, there's no tight end going to help him. There's no running back or fullback going to help him block. Uh, There's nothing. I mean, Wayne Hunter is being left out there on an island at right tackle. And the Jets' offensive line is so bad. Never mind, you know, them failing in pass protection. They're failing in run protection. They can't even run the football right now. So much for that ground and pound game. Uh, Sanchez, this is going to be his fourth year in the league. He still doesn't make quick decisions. He still struggles with his decision making. As I've said ad nauseum on the show, Tim Tebow is not the right backup to season Sanchez or take the reins to stabilize the team. Obviously, uh, you know, far, aside from the offensive mess, you still have a bad mix of characters in that locker room. Antonio Cromartie's comments a few weeks ago saying that he's one of the better receivers on the team. I mean, in isolation, it's an innocuous comment, but... Nothing with the Jets entering the season can be viewed in isolation with the way they collapsed down the stretch in 2011. I think there's a lot of discord in that locker room. There's a lot of me guys, not enough team guys. And on top of it all, again, the offense just an awful, awful mess right now. Haven't scored a touchdown in the preseason. Uh, so big up. The Jets suck. And they will suck this season. I don't see this thing getting turned around. It began to blow up towards the end last year. And it's going to blow up even more this season. Mark my words, one of Rex Ryan or Mike Tannenbaum won't even be fired in the offseason. You may see an in-season change made with the Jets. I think Tannenbaum's far more likely there than Rex Ryan. But things could get that bad with the Jets in New York this season. Uh, Because look at their first two preseason games. I mean, hello, it's JV versus varsity, to say the very least. Closing out the show with our fourth down segment. This is the Reamer Rant. Now, I talked to Sal Capaccio earlier in the show. How do you view preseason football? And Sal talked about, you know, you have to judge each team differently. And I just said that with my Jets and Patriots comparison. You know, you judge a young quarterback like Andrew Luck differently than, you know, you judge a veteran like Drew Brees. Or you judge a guy like Peyton Manning returning from injury differently than you judge a guy like Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, you know. It's apples and oranges. Each team's preseason means different things for that specific team. You know, no two preseasons are alike. So, with that said, preseason football, NFL Network there's you know a game every night. Sometimes multiple games per night. The local preseason games are big, big stuff. Um, you always look forward to sitting down watching a preseason game. Football's back. I can't wait. And then you sit down and watch a preseason game like I did, Eagles, Patriots, Monday Night Football, then you find out the Patriots aren't going to play 27 guys. (laughs) You know, and you're left watching the second and third stringers out there for the duration of the game. And granted, I never played professional football, never will play professional football. I don't play football in college. I don't understand the zero set. And I don't enjoy breaking down to the third string safeties fair in the cover two package. I don't really care to see the offensive line blocking scheme, and I don't care if the defensive linemen rotate out of the base defense. Sorry, I don't. And if you have to fit those criteria in order to enjoy preseason football, then I most certainly cannot be alone in my boredom and incessant thumb twiddling whenever I sit down to watch a preseason game. I mean, come on. There's no shame to admit it, folks. Preseason football, on the whole, sucks. It's boring. I'm bored by it after a couple of series. Once they pull the starters, I'm out. Couldn't give two craps about the backup running back or the third string quarterback. I'm not a scout. I'm a fan. I'm an observer. Ryan Mallett started the game for the Patriots on Monday. Ooh, look at Ryan Mallett's progression from week one to week two and last year. I really don't care about Ryan Mallett, the third string quarterback's progression and you don't care either. There's no shame in it. Let's stop acting like we give a shit about preseason football, pardon my French, and let's stop obsessing over it. Let's stop sitting down and watching the preseason analysis segments on ESPN Sports Center and acting like we give a crap about this stuff. Let's treat it like spring training. It's glorified practice. That's what it is. And I know I'm on a big-time football website, footballnation.com, and I know a lot of the writers here write these big, long reports with preseason football, and I'm sure they sit down and take notes on the game, and they're checking Twitter on their phones every five seconds because they're bored to to flipping tears. It sucks. It's boring. I am going on the record and saying that preseason football is boring and nine people out of ten who tell you, no, no, I like it. I like breaking down the defenses, breaking down the backup QB, the zero set, seeing the offensive line blocking scheme, seeing how they're going to put that receiver in the slot, seeing what this linebacker does in the cover two base defense, seeing how this team adjusts from the 3-4 to the 4-3. I'm watching all this stuff. Nine people out of ten who tell you that are lying their asses off. It's still August. Get out and enjoy your fleeting summer nights. You'll be back, ridden to your couch before you know it. And when you're back to your couch, the games will matter, the starters will be in, and football will be back. You'll be back to that soon enough in just a little more than two weeks. There's no need to make believe that you're enjoying preseason football. And if you are, that makes one of us. Thank you for tuning in to the Football Nation Today podcast with yours truly, Alex Reamer, available on footballnation.com and for downloading the iTunes store. Again, thanks. Go out to Sal Capaccio of WGR, AM 550, Sports Talk in Buffalo, and salsports.com for joining me on the show today with the NFC overview. As I mentioned in the beginning of the program, next week it's our 2012 general NFL preview show where I will give you all of my picks Try to do it in entertaining fashion, I promise. So stay tuned to that for next week's show. And if you have any predictions of your own, any thoughts on the show, as always, feel free to leave them in the show comment page. Uh, Hit me up on Twitter, at alexreamer one Email me, aremer at bu.edu. Looking forward to getting your input into the NFL Prediction Show next Wednesday. Also, a quick, cheap plug for my other podcast, my Red Sox podcast, Without a Curse, also available on iTunes and on thesportstuff.com. This past week, I conducted a big interview with Rich Schurtenlieb, one half of the Touch & Rich Morning Show, weekday mornings on 98.5 The Sports Hub, the highest-rated morning show in Boston for the past year-plus. A big interview there. If you want to check it out, some good media discussion. If you listen to the show, want more insight into how the show runs, check out Without a Curse from this past Monday. But so long, everybody. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next on Football Nation today, next Wednesday, with my, that's right, my, NFL season preview because the games that actually matter are just a little more than two weeks away. Talk then. Talk next Wednesday.